0: As we consider the scripture, we, we've for those of you visiting, or maybe you haven't been here very long, we've been in the Book of Matthew, and we're just just looking through the life of Jesus. And we've been in this place um, in in Matthew 20, 21, 22 of this Passion Week, this last week that Jesus was in Jerusalem prior to the cross, and and this whole thing he's he's doing is for us, and this kingdom he's ushering in that we get to be a part of, and that we get to experience this amazing grace. And we think about this amazing thing that we get to be in his presence and we get to worship and we get to study his word and we get to encounter him, us, you and me. I mean, think about our lives. Think about our priorities at times. Think about, and I don't want you to dwell on those things. I don't want you to dwell on our failures or dwell on those. But think about those things that he just says, forgiven. Oh, my gosh. Crazy, crazy. Anywho. Matthew 22, if you are, have your Bible, turn to Matthew 22. We're going to look at this uh, scripture. I've actually been avoiding it. I couldn't figure out why I was avoiding it, um, uh, but I'm, I'm going to teach on it, and we're going to look at it today. Matthew 22, Jesus had been teaching through parables. He had gone into Jerusalem. He had this day of authority where he just turned over the money, ta- money tables and all the things going on in the, in the temple courts, um, uh, he, and he came back and had this day of teaching. Um, And he he taught uh, many times through parables, and he taught several parables in in this moment, according to Matthew. And then it comes, uh, as he's teaching, uh, something happens. And the the group of people representing the Pharisees come, and they begin to quiz Jesus, as they often did to try and trick him, um, into saying something wrong, or doing something wrong. And they asked him about uh, paying taxes to Caesar, um, which was a source of tension, uh, for the Jewish people because they were under uh, Roman rule, right? And so um, they're asking them about that, uh, trying to trick him in some way. And, um, and then Jesus has a great uh, answer back that we will look at this scripture. But if you look into this story, it's interesting because really you have the leaders, the spiritual leaders of the day who are act- also political leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians who um, who were who were leading? They were in charge. They were it was they were cultural leaders. They were supposed to be have moral authority, but they definitely had positional authority in this culture. But they were relig- they were the religious leaders, right? And um, and they are having a hard time with this guy named Jesus. they're they're, they're wrestling with him because he was threatening their way of life. He was threatening their position and their power and their influence. And that he was threatening what they believed about their religion that they believed was true and right. And they, so they were struggling. They had slipped into protecting everything they were, everything they had accomplished, everything that they believed from this radical guy who was causing a lot of trouble for them. And so in this scripture, you really see several... I would argue are, are, are mistakes or even leadership lessons that we can gain from their approach and how they um, went after Jesus um, that we can learn from. I think, I dare call them leadership lessons, but they really are. If you are in a position of authority and you are leading someone, um, or you uh, are, are leading in an organization or a company or even in your home or whatever it may be in, Or or maybe you're not even leading from an authority position, but maybe you are just trying to live and lead out as a believer and you're having conflict with another person. Or you are um, struggling with having some tension with other groups of people or whatever it may be. I think there are some leadership lessons from this uh, scripture that we can apply. Um, And it's interesting because in this time of Jesus' life, he's trying to move us from the idea of religion where we're doing all the things that we think we're supposed to do in order to earn God's favor and to stay in his favor, right? And Jesus is teaching us how there's a new covenant and we're moving away from religion and moving into relationship. To where um, his people is mar- are marked by a relationship with him that he's ushering in this new way of living, this new uh, reign of authority, this new kingdom, that he spoke of and that we sing about and then we pray about this kingdom come, right? And so Jesus is teaching this and it's ironic because the 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 way the Pharisees lead in this story, they actually prove Jesus's point. They actually end up showing us the difference between when religion is driving our actions and our motives, the the, the wrong kind of religion, when we take something pure and we make it versus when kingdom principles and ideas are driving our decision-making and how we approach people. Does that make sense? They're, they're actually going to give us some illustrations of five things, mistakes, I think, that, that they made and that we can learn from um, and how they approach Jesus. Now, I went through a season in life where I were a part of different organizations, even churches, in which, um, and this is one of the reasons I struggle with, with, with this scripture, um, in which uh, leadership can kind of become an idol. Does that make sense? When all of a sudden, just leading and leading and leading and being the best and achieving and accomplishing, where you start going over and through and and around people to accomplish what you're trying to do. And I think that, to me, always like I don't want to, I don't want to get in there. I don't want to, you know. But um, I, I think that when you start. Leading in a way or living in a way in which you are going over and around and through people to get to whatever you're doing for God, you're probably off base a little bit. All right? So I think there's some lessons here to learn. But also, I thought this was a very interesting part of the story because this is a storyline about paying taxes to Caesar, and it's written, it's scribed uh, by Matthew, who was what? the tax collector. So I think this was personal for him. There's something really important here that he wants us to see. And then I think he captured every detail for a specific reason that we can uh, learn from. So all that to say, let's pray. We'll look at the scripture and pull some stuff out of there. All right. Father, uh, so we're asking that you would lead us this morning Uh, We're asking that you would give us some fresh insight to a story that many have heard many times. Um, But I pray, God, that you would help us to learn this is something that happened, but we would gain some truths from it that we we would apply in our lives. And so, God, I'm asking that as we look through these things, that your Spirit would lead us and that you would show us areas... Um, that we need to apply to our lives, that we maybe need to go, ooh, I do that. God, I pray that you would give us open hearts and minds, help us not to be defensive, help us to grow in you, and that you would ultimately be glorified in this. Because God, we know ultimately it is about you, and so um, we're thankful for that. So guide us in this time, in Jesus' name, amen. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap Jesus, trap him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. So tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he asked them, whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, so go, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him uh, and they went away. So let's look at the first scripture, first verse in verse 15. It's kind of a setup and many times you can kind of throw this away. Um, but I don't think it's supposed to be thrown away. I think it's there for a reason. It simply says, this transition statement from a story Jesus was saying, it was telling about the, the banquet, the marriage banquet. He said, then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. This is actually an interesting statement because um, as you look through the last... Uh, well, through all of Jesus' life, but especially during this last uh, week, five five or six days of his life, you see many things that were fulfilled prophecy. And this is one of them. That if you go back, I believe it's in Psalms 2, it talks about that the leaders of the day uh, were, were, they took counsel to do uh, him harm, that they would do that. And so here you have the Pharisees, who again were the spiritual, the spiritual leaders. Um, they went out actively, searching, planning together a way to trap Jesus. They they didn't just see it and go, oh, look what he did, and they go went and accuse him. They went out and as leaders, representing God in their mind, planned ways to trap him and to set him up for failure. Um. So I think first leadership principle that uh, we can see the difference between religion and kingdom is, first of all, is that religion tends to have less concern for the individual, for the others, than it does in protecting itself or the organization. Does that make sense? That many times if we find ourselves going around and through and over individuals, just to protect the bigger thing that we're a part of you can be sure that you're beginning to we're beginning to slip into maybe what is more religious than is actually spiritual and and here's the thing that i think is at the heart of this in jesus's teaching and it stands in opposition to this isn't many times we we will we will think hey i'm against that person or i'm against that thing because it threatens what i What I know or what I believe or what I have. And so we end up going against that person because we think they're wrong. But we end up going after that person just to prove them wrong. Um, and what Jesus always did, kingdom effort. And so many times it can result in church discipline or it can, it can result in writing someone off forever. Oh, I'm never gonna read that person again or I'm never gonna talk to that person again or or I'm never gonna go to that church again or this or thing or whatever. But you could be sure the difference between the religion in which you are trying to um, do harm, to discredit a person, what kingdom effort is the opposite. Its purpose is in exposing maybe failure or something wrong is always redemptive. So think about that. If we're leading or we're in a relationship or we're in a struggle where there's conflict with someone else and you find yourself going circle and circle and circle, it just seems to be destructive and destructive and destructive and relationships are being ruined and credibility is being lost and all these things. There's this circle of destruction. At one point or another, we need to stop back and ask ourselves, is our goal to redeem this situation or is it just to destroy this person or whatever they believe? I think it's important that we know the difference between even, I hate the phrase church discipline or whatever this thing is where we're protecting religious stuff that the goal in confronting someone or the goal has to be to redeem that person or that thing, okay? That's the difference that they didn't have. They just went out and their plan was just to trap Jesus, all right? It was to protect the organization or the institution or the leaders that were a part of it instead of considering that individual. So the Pharisees went out, laid plans to trap him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Now, we've heard about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? They're some of the religious leaders, the ones that I always, always taught when I was younger to remember the difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees where the Sadducees uh, did not believe in the resurrection. They were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. So if you ever want to remember that, now forever, you're welcome. Um... So they sent, the Pharisees, though, they, they, they sent their disciples to go to Jesus along with Herodians. Now, who, does, who's, who are the Herodians? Do you know? They're only mentioned a couple times in the Bible. The Herodians were those, it was another, another political party um, that were um, big fans of King Herod. Remember King Herod? What was the big thing you remember that King Herod did? Yeah, he, he's, well, in your own words, he tried to kill baby Jesus. That's exactly right, he did. I mean, he put out the decree to kill uh, the firstborn uh, uh, boys. Um, this, this was a party that was not for Jesus. This was like, this was, King Herod was known as literally whatever it took to maintain power in my agenda, I will do. And this was his legacy. His son uh, was the one who demanded, uh, who who ended up taking? Well, he did not demand it because it was a little messed up situation there. But ended up taking um, John the Baptist's head. Okay, and his son was also, according to some other uh, historical texts, was on was was counsel to those who tried Jesus. So these were these were like the people that they they didn't like this idea of Jesus as much. more than anyone. The Pharisees sent them. They were loyal to Rome. They were to the point of, we'll do anything to protect uh, our leadership and our way of life. So the Pharisees sent their disciples, their cronies, their little, I wish I was like you, and the Herodians to go talk to Jesus. Jesus. Pardon me? You know, I don't know. Does anybody know? I don't know. Um, My guess is I don't think so. I think here they represented the, what's that? Somewhere. So you said not birth, not by birth, but by practice? Yeah. He faked it. Yeah, the precedence in religion goes deep, doesn't it? I mean, wow. Um, yeah. So, but I think the big point there was that he rep- they rep they, they were chosen. They were represent they were representative to the authority and the power and the protecting of Rome. And then the 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 disciples then were representing the authority and the power to protecting of the of the Pharisees agenda. But I think here's the big deal is that religion tends to deflect responsibility. He sent the other guys. He sent the other, they, they sent the other guys. Isn't that interesting? They sent the other guys. And I think if we, were, if we were to recall back, that's a mistake that they made moving forward and a mistake we often make because kingdom effort goes directly to the source. It owns the conflict. Um, I think at this point, the Pharisees were probably trying to do anything, right? But the lesson for me, as I'm reminded, is that it's just it's not the same uh, when we think about what Jesus taught about relationship and people and dealing with things head on, it, he, he did it. He went one-on-one. He he spoke to the person. He spoke uh, directly to what was going on. But he also taught us how to do that. And there's scripture after scripture after scripture about going directly to a person when you have conflict, right? Uh, this is just a quick reminder um, that easily, too easily, when we find ourselves deflecting responsibility, we're not necessarily seeking uh, a, a reconciliation through a kingdom effort. Jesus' words were always direct. They were, they were measured. They were humble in, in posture when he was dealing with a person. And I thought it was interesting when dealing with conflict or dealing with the situation that Jesus was typically, he was typically for the accused. You know, we always know he was for the underdog, he was for the oppressed, but he was also, he was for the accused. And I was, I was looking through and considering different stories of Jesus' interaction where he had to be, he had an opportunity to be an advocate for someone, he was. And I was thinking, what drew him to that? And, and I think part of it, I think it was one of two things. Either they were just the innocent victim of something, or they were the incredibly guilty. You ever notice that? They were incredibly guilty, but they were so incredibly guilty and it was so public that they were also incredibly repentant. And so there's something about uh, being direct, um, but there's also something about when you are the source of that confrontation or that issue, that our posture um, might take on something what we see here. Um, always in the favor of the one confessing because of his grace and his mercy. So, religion typically has less concern for others and kingdom effort is always redemptive. Two, religion typically deflects responsibility, sent the other guy, and kingdom effort goes directly to the source. He owns the conflict. So, they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Um, what are they doing here? They're setting them up. They're like, you're right? How are they setting them up? They're setting them up by doing what? Huh? Flattery, complimenting, but. Flattery is a little bit more of a negative term. Complimenting can be used like, oh, Jesus, were they truly complimenting him? They were, they were manipulating here, weren't they? So they were addressing him with what seemed to be truth, but they didn't really believe that, right? Did they really, um, be, really believe his character was this? No, they they were being um, manipulative. Said, "We know you're a man of integrity, and you teach the way of God according, in accordance with the truth." The second sentence is interesting. He says, "You you're not swayed by others." In their mind, was that a compliment or not? You're not swayed by others. When you think about values, according to the Pharisees and the leaders. Is not caring about public opinion an important thing? Is that frowned upon? Or is that something that is looked upon as good? Yeah. Yeah. I think religion puts too much value on popular opinion. Um, they considered it a weakness to ignore that. Why? Why? Why would they consider it a, a, a weakness to ignore popular opinion? Yeah. What's that? Doesn't it require a lot of thought. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe they're saying, "Oh, you're sim- you're you're too simple minded." Huh? Right, so you aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but really there's a confession there because what you're saying is they actually do, don't they? Why? Why would they care? Because that's how they get their power. Because that's how who gets their power? The, the leaders. The Pharisees, right? You see what's going on there? They only a, uh, uh, group, they were also Right, exactly. Exactly. So, what is, I have a question here, what is popular opinion and favoritism? What word comes to mind when you think of that, when a leadership position? Maybe I, I think of politics. Isn't that interesting? So there's some political agenda going on here, right? I mean, they were very concerned. They, they had an agenda to try, and they were trying to get Jesus in a way that, that kept them in power, right? So they had some agendas going on. But they said to him, you aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. So I think there's really two things that they're coming at here as they manipulate him. The first one is, it points out that religion puts too much value on popular opinion, and they consider it a weakness to ignore popular opinion. All right? Now you, you have to be careful because it's not that you don't want to seek counsel, and it's not that you don't really want to know true numbers and true thoughts and true things like that. There's, there's a line between valuing that truth or, or, and, um, and having an agenda, just swaying to whatever the majority says is best, right? It's a difference between the mode of being politics and the mode of being other things. Um, Often, religion puts too much value on popular opinion, and kingdom, and opposite, often comes with public criticism. It often does. And I have in quotes, here in parentheses here, especially from the religious. Um, I think it was good that you pointed out, Rob, a reminder that these were political leaders who were religious, right? They were both. Many times we forget that they're religious in the first place, but they were. They were trying to do, I think, in the heart of everything, it started with a heart to try and honor God. And then it began to shift into protecting God. And I hope, I keep saying that, but I hope you understand how much we do that. We start having having to protect our thing and, and protect what we believe and protect God like he needs us to protect him. Um. And we get off a little bit. And then that begins to inform how we act. And we wonder why things get frayed and even more convoluted. So maybe it puts too much value on popular opinion. because You aren't swayed by others. That's what they were saying. We're we're swayed by others. You're not. But they weren't looking at that as a compliment. That, to them, was not a compliment, even though they knew that to him it was. Um, But then the other one, because you pay no attention to who they are, Another th- very similar thought line there is that religious, religion then shows favoritism. And kingdom puts everyone on the same level. If we learn anything from Jesus, it's that he's constantly, it's not, he's, he's not trying, we, he does lift people up, he does, he, 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 he does lift people up, but it's so interesting how many times um, in, in the religious leaders, in order to raise themselves up, they're pushing on other people, pushing them down, right? And Jesus is constantly raising people up. And he's constantly calling us to descend. I always thought of my spiritual growth growing up as like this ladder that I'm accomplishing something and I'm growing and I'm learning and I'm becoming more like Jesus and I'm climbing this ladder. And then I see this real Jesus who's constantly saying, no, it's not a ladder. It's a realm. The kingdom breaks through at any moment, any place. And our goal is is literally to lower ourselves because then that exalts him. But it also puts us all in the same place. And um, we don't allow favoritism and we don't allow the wrong things to influence our opinions and our hearts, our decisions. Um, it's, it became politics. It was political. It was political. And, and And they were saying, Jesus, you're not political. So let me ask you this because here's their trap. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? How is this a trap? Right. Right. And mm-hmm. and they're taking away his wiggle room. Yeah. You're for truth, you're for truth, right? You're for truth, right? So which is right, this or that? They don't give him any other option. Do you do this or do you not? They trapped him into that place. It is amazing how much we see that today in the church. How we go, no, where are you on that for sure? And you know, there's a few things, I gotta be honest with you, that one day I'm gonna ask some questions. Because I just, I don't fully know. The things that I fully know, I am so firm on. There are just some things that that people want you to fully know, especially as a pastor, that I just, I'm not sure. And so am I willing to allow um, people to hurt and and suffer and over something that you don't know fully? Um, There's wiggle in a lot of stuff. Paul talked about disputable matters. Very important to understand that there's truth There is truth, Um, but we don't always know everything, and one simple answer in our own minds might not fully capture the fullness of God, but they put him to the question, so why this question? What would this question do if he answered one side or the other? Yeah. Yeah. Right, so here they are in the, in the land that they were given by God and they're under Roman oppression. So to give money back to them, how does God look at that, right? And in fact, I believe there's some Old Testament scriptures talking about never allowing yourself to be under a foreign leadership. I mean, just, right, Old Testament, but still in this. And so the, the risk was if he said, don't pay taxes. So there's two ways um, to rid, they knew to rid themselves of Jesus. One was law and the other was by force. Law was Roman if he refused to do and abide by Roman law and to pay taxes to Caesar and to tell it to each other. So though he he would be wrong there, there would be a legal issue going on there. And they didn't handle legal issues, you know, very humanely uh, back in the day, right? And so the other one would then be by force by the Jewish multitude. So if then he he said, no, you have to pay it, that maybe there would be... um, This this rise against him from the Jewish multitude, but then he said if he didn't, there would they they caught him in a legal thing. So this was the trap, right? Um, I think it's it's interesting again. We see that the religious goal here was just to find fault. Religion seeks to be right, but kingdom seeks truth. See the difference? Religion seeks to be right. I, I want to be what I believe is right, and I want to be right. But sometimes there's a point where you're you, where we're not right. And then if we approach something with only the attitude of, I'm right, I'm going to prove it, then we're using Scripture to defend our belief instead of define our belief. And there has to be room, call it wiggle room, whatever, to just say, you know what, God? I believe this with all my heart. But if I'm wrong, will you show me that I would rather know the truth than be right? Kingdom seeks the truth because it trusts truth to be best. Many times when we slip into religion, it leaves no room to be wrong. The problem is what if we're wrong? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, Said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? So he knew it. I saw one um, 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 a study on this talking about that if you can identify, um, you know, the, the intent behind someone's statements, half the battle is won. You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying tax. They brought him a denarius. And he asked him, whose image is this? Whose inscription? Caesar's. And he said, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed, so they left him and went away. So somehow, in Jesus' way, he was able to show the bigger picture in a simple statement. So, some important important thoughts, just as we go through that, and as we're thinking about, I think it's the same thing in leading, um, in relationships, in conflict, all of these things. Um, In your conflict, whatever it is right now, that you're dealing with, that you're in the middle of? Um, Is your purpose redemptive? First of all, is your purpose redemptive? um, Or is it to do harm or to discredit? What's your agenda? That we we need to figure out the heart behind what's going there. Secondly, are we being direct? Are we with the right posture and humility and concern for that redemptive thing? Or are we deflecting And going around it maybe with a different, with a second person or indirectly, not, not, not going head on as Jesus would. Third thing, are we valuing what others think of us in that moment too much? Or are we valuing maybe what one individual or someone that we've given too much credit to, what they think of us too much? Um, and the last thing is, are we seeking more to be right or to find the truth in that situation? I think, I think, you know, Jesus is teaching here the difference moving from trying to explain to everyone, moving from religion to kingdom and and how they led, they literally proved, they literally illustrated his points in here. And then ultimately the bigger picture um, is, is important to see the question was on the taxes, is as believers, as 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 um, Israel, should we voluntarily submit to Rome? Should we willingly give taxes, joyfully, willingly do that, um, or should we wait and be forced to? You know, what is the thing that honors one of one honors God? Um, one of the reasons I kind of avoiding this scripture was because the obvious government overlap. So many uh, decisions going on right now that are causing so much tension in the church and in our world. Um, Local government opinions on things like the Syrian refugee crisis, things like that. There's a lot of government, political, that we're in the middle of, of an election season. And politics are one of the strangest things when it impacts the church. It, it, divides, it divides the church like crazy. And I think that we have a real enemy that's bidding for the church, who's trying to divide the church. And I think we really need to consider a few things um, without giving my opinion about certain things, whether it fill in the blank, whatever government situation or whatever rule of this land, a couple things, a reminder and then two perspectives. The reminder is that the relationship between government and religion has been used to divide from the very beginning. It does. It's been there and it is there. And there's a real consequence. There's a real consequence. I saw someone um, post on on a blog. Um, They were just... their first statement was some of the effect of, you know, all the stuff that, that believers are posting on Facebook and social media and things like that. He just was saying, remember, this is going to be out there forever. And like your grandkids are going to see what you posted and go, what? You know, um, just some real thoughts about. And, and I think that to some degree, our political stance on certain things, we almost use as a cop out regardless of what side we're on, to blame it on someone else or to just go with the flow or to do whatever instead of doing the hard, hard work of saying, Holy Spirit, search my heart on this. What is it? Um, Again, regardless of what side you land on whatever issue, all right, we have a spiritual responsibility to allow the Spirit to sift our hearts to evaluate our motive, to check our agenda, and seek first the kingdom of God. We're very clear, right? We've sang that song since VBS, for those of you who know what VBS is. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Allelu, allelu. In that, a reminder, in this season, a reminder, then a perspective on God, regardless God's ways endure. Trust him. He can take down kingdoms. Don't don't let the wrong thing drive you. Alright? This season coming up, the elect, I I just, don't you want to just turn Facebook off during, or the forwarded emails off during elections and things? I'm a very conflicted political person, I'm going to be honest with you, because I grew up one specific way and then I'm all well, I'm schizophrenic and things, it's weird. So it's just torture. I'm tortured on both sides all the time. So, and then I'm married to Jen, which is amazing, right? It's your fault now. But let's remember a perspective on God and all of this. It's interesting. They came at Jesus with a very firm thing that he could have just said, you know what? He did call them hypocrites. He said, you know what? Let me tell you what's going on. But he takes a very simple answer and he just kind of, it's like he's just sitting back and said, yo, give Caesar what Caesar's and what God. Make him think about what does that mean? And they had to go, whoa, that's deep, bro. <laughs> Apply that to your thing. And then I think one thing again, um, perspective on self. So that reminder, that perspective on God, let's have a perspective on self. Do what you can, but don't find deep guilt in what you can't control, okay? Because then fear starts coming in and it starts driving our agendas. Um, A reminder, Jesus simplifies by saying there's a way to honor kingdom and authority. And his kingdom authority ultimately reigns. I think we live in shame a lot. We don't need spiritual shame when we can't control something. Um, do what you can do. But here's my tension, and I will remind us of this. When I look at where Jesus in Scripture gives us context for dealing directly with nations and our nation and trying to honor him, um, You know, Jesus never, he, he, he taught, never lose your cool fighting for yourself, um, but lose your cool fighting for others. And I want to just close, I just want to read Isaiah 1, a reminder, because when I read the scripture, I think, God, what does it take for an entire nation to get to a place where you don't want to hear our prayers anymore? What does it take? Not... Scripture doesn't really get into a political stance of this. It it has to do with one thing, fighting for others. However that plays out. This was the condition of Israel. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord. I have more than enough offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who's asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. You know, I mean, he's talking about the the sacrifice and the alt the, at the altar and the things that we give physically, but without heart and the wholeness of who we are. Your incense is detestable to me. New moon, Sabbath, convocations—I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals—I hate with all my being. They become a burden. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. And that's where I go. How do you get there? How do you get to the point where what our, our gathering together, our assemblies, God considers worthless? And he doesn't really say what they did, but he says how to fix it. He says, Wash and make yourself clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight, stop doing wrong learn to do right which is good permission it assumes we don't know what we're doing and we get to learn how to do right and here's how he says seek justice defend the oppressed take up the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow and then a, a warning verse 22 your silvers become dross your choice wine is diluted with water your rulers are rebels they're partners with thieves they they all have bribes and they chase after gifts it sounds like the public opinion they do not defend the cause of the fatherless and the widow's case does not become, does not come before them. Um, for me, this is a posture thing right now. Uh, whatever it is that's going on from elections to decisions to um, how we are place in our nation's place in the world, um, may we not forget what's at the heart of God and may we seek that in our own lives and our own relationships as well. All right, let's pray.